Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com Wow! Nice! Yeah! What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and t-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Hello, I'm Helen Arnie. I'm Matt Parker. I'm Steve Mould, and this is the last of our special episodes of a podcast of Unnecessary Detail, where we share our favourite bits of the live shows we did back in April in London. That's right. This episode has a very wide variety of nerdy treats, including astrophysicist Jen Gupta, who will be correcting bad cosmology in popular songs. We've got Dr. Matt Hutchinson teaching how everyone can be a medic in just a few easy steps. That sounds dangerous. And we've got comedian Ted Hill reinventing the NATO alphabet. Plus a little taste of rock and roll IT consultants, Fox Dog Studios, and a song about radioactive bananas from me. Uh, but before all that, let's kick off in the best possible taste with something from our very own Steve Mould. Well, hang on. First of all, I've got to get Steve's slides up. Give me a second to change over to those. What? Matt. <laughs> Matt, this is, a, this is a podcast, so we don't need... We don't need slides and there isn't even a screen. No, I, I know I know that, but I'm trying to recreate the magic of the live show experience, which always starts with me filling while I'm changing slideshow <laughs> presentation. Okay, there we are. We're good to go. Okay, great. Right, so let's welcome to the podcast stage, now with the correct slides, it's Steve Bolt. I mean, I could talk for a long time about how bad Matt is at changing slides, but what, what I actually wanted to talk about was your sense of taste. Because um, like, it's my contention that we think about taste in the wrong way. There's a better way to think about taste, right? So you've all got tongues, and um, your tongues give you these five tastes, sweet, sour, salt, uh, bitter, and umami. And we tend to think about those tastes in a culinary way, like... How is this going to affect my enjoyment of this burrito, for example? But there's a better way to think about it, in my opinion, which is this. Humans have evolved various chemical detection mechanisms that help us to survive. And these five tastes are examples of that. Take sweetness, for example. That's your sugar detection mechanism. And it makes sense to be able to detect sugar because... It's this molecule, it's a, a, a ready source of chemical energy, and it's part of our reward system, so it encourages us to seek out foods that are high in energy. It makes sense that we should evolve a chemical detection mechanism for sugar. The interesting thing is it can be tricked, right? So it's the, the, the way it works is that classic lock and key analogy. So you've got these gustatory cells on your tongue, 
And on those gustatory cells, you've got these uh, receptor molecules. That's the lock in the analogy. And so if you put some sugar in your mouth, you've got these glucose molecules swirling around. The glucose molecules are the key in the analogy. So when they bump into the receptor molecule, it fits perfectly like a key in a lock that activates the gustatory cell, sends a signal to your brain, you taste something sweet. But the way it can be tricked is, well, I mean, humans... Ever the uh, ingenious uh, creatures that we are invented, for example, aspartame. And by the way, a a bag of suspicious white powder, (laughs) surprisingly easy to get it into the Bloomsbury Theatre. No one said anything. Just just worth bearing in mind for next time you're here, I suppose. Um, Like in an ideal world, it would only be glucose that binds to this sweetness receptor on your gustatory cells, but it isn't. We found uh, aspartame and other molecules that do the same thing. I'm going to try it live on stage. Gosh, isn't that exciting? Um, and, what's that? Do a line. Oh, my God. <laughs> do you know what? Because I'm on stage and there's so many of you, the pressure is immense. I'm so close to doing it. Um, no, I won't. I won't. I won't. You can, though. No, okay. I'll just do a bit. Because mm, it's a weird kind of sweetness. Because, for one thing, aspartame binds incredibly strongly to those receptors, uh, molecules, much more strongly than glucose does. I get this feeling of like, why am I still sensing this sweetness? It's like the sweetness is stuck in my mouth. It's a weird sensation. Um, What's really cool, though, is that we know of at least one plant that has evolved a similar thing, the ability to create what we would call artificial sweetener. Because, like, I mean, look, this is, within this context, one way to think about sugar is it's the molecule that mediates our relationship with certain plants. So we have this agreement with certain plants where the plant goes, look, here's a little, lovely little package of energy that I've put together for you, right? A little package of sugar. Let's call it a strawberry, for example, right? You can have that. You can have that little, little package of energy. But on one condition, you have to swallow the seeds, right? You have to go away, go away, go far away and do a poo, right? You have to poo the seeds out. If you poo the seeds out, you can have the little package of energy. That's the deal. But there's this one plant that has figured out a way to renege on that agreement. It's, uh, it's called Pentadiplandra uh, braziana. It's native to uh, West Africa. And it's evolved the ability to make a molecule that behaves in a similar way to um, aspartame. It binds very strongly to uh, the sweetness receptors of primates. Um, so it's much cheaper to make. You don't have to make as much of it because it binds so strongly. It's much cheaper to make just a small amount of this, what's called brazine, than it is to make actual glucose. So the plant saves a load of energy making these cheap molecules uh, called brazine. And the, the primates in West Africa, they go crazy for it. They're running around, grabbing all these uh, berries, eating them, pooing out the seeds, and they get nothing in return. There's no energy content in these berries. What's amazing, though, is some of the, um, some of the gorillas have started to evolve. Some of the gorillas now have a slightly different sugar-detecting mechanism. It still works with the glucose, but the brazine can't bind to it anymore. So, so they don't get fooled by this, this trickster molecule. They have this evolutionary advantage. God, there's so much to say about... Uh, so, like you've got sweetness receptors in your gut. It's, it's so cool, but I, but I haven't got time. I want to talk about the other four senses as well. Um, 
uh, umami, that's like, or, or savory, that's your protein detecting mechanism. <laughs> Obviously, again, it's important that we can detect when we put protein in our mouths because it's an important part of our diet. The thing about the protein detecting mechanism is it's a proxy. Like, it's not like you, eat pro- you put protein in your mouth and the protein molecules bind to protein receptors. Instead, it's a proxy. You're detecting a, um, a molecule called glutamate. And glutamate tends to be found in the presence of protein. So if you, if you sense glutamate in your mouth, it's probably because you have protein in your mouth. So it works like that. But it also means that your protein detecting mechanism can be tricked as well. Like, imagine you cook yourself a nice uh, vegetable chow mein, right? And then you add... Uh, some of this monosodium glutamate, right? You add that to the dish. I'm going to try this as well. Um, but the, the vegetable chow mein will now taste more hearty. It will trick you into thinking you, you're having a meal much more rich in protein than you actually are. Um, I'm only going to have a tiny amount of this, but I am going to snort it. Um, <laughs> no, I'm just um, it, it, it's incredibly strong. What, it's really... It's a really weird sensation for me, like, for my Western palate. Like, I don't get much monosodium glutamate in my diet. The only time I really taste monosodium glutamate is when I get Chinese takeout. <laughs> so it's like, the sensation is someone has taken, like, some essence of Chinese takeout and just distilled it into this pure form, and it's now in my mouth. It's very, it's very weird. Um, uh, uh, bitterness. Your bitterness taste, that is your poison-detecting mechanism. What's really interesting about that is um, there's loads of different receptors. It's not just like, you know, one for glutamate, one for glucose. There's all these different receptors because there are loads of different poisons out there. And um, what's really interesting is, like, uh, we're in an arms race with plants, an evolutionary arms race with plants. Like, the five tastes are basically locked down from an evolutionary point of view. They're not changing at all except bitterness, which is changing all the time because of this evolutionary arms race. Like, plants don't want to be eaten, except for the fruit ones, obviously. Uh, but, I mean, and I'm anthropomorphizing the plants. Like, they don't want to be eaten, but you know what I mean. Just get off my back. Um, it's okay to anthropomorphize things if everyone understands. As long as they, can we all just consent to anthropomorphize things? Um, so... Uh, the plant doesn't want to be eaten, but we want to eat the plants, right? So they produce a poison. We have to evolve uh, a way to detect the poison so we don't die. And then another plant comes along that mimics the poison. It's not actually poisonous, but it stimulates the poison receptors. So we need to evolve new receptors that aren't stimulated by the fake poison. And then a new poison is a constant thing like that. And, and you can detect that in the human population. We, we are in flux. Like, um, this bit of paper here was soaked in a chemical called PTC, And that doesn't taste like anything for me, because I can't detect PTC. But many of you in the audience, if you did that, if you tasted it, it would taste incredibly bitter. And that's because you're more involved than I am. (laughs) Isn't that cool? Um, And again, like your 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 poison detecting mechanism can be tricked as well. If you've ever put Bitrex on your nails to stop yourself biting your nails. It tastes poisonous, but it's, it's not poisonous. Uh, your, your sense of bitter is being uh, tricked. Got the final two, salt and sour. Those are different to the other ones. They're not lock and key. It's not like a molecule that fits into another molecule. Instead, the gustatory cells that detect saltiness and sourness, there's just a hole in them, <laughs> special hole that lets ions in. So for salt, it's sodium ions that can get in, and that's how you detect salt. For your sour detecting mechanism, well... Something tastes sour if it's acidic. 
So your sour taste is your acid-detecting mechanism, right? Here's the thing, though. If something is acidic, it's because it has a high concentration of hydrogen ions in it. Think about that. Like, hydrogen is just a proton with an electron going around it, right? And to make it into a hydrogen ion, you just take the electron away. You're just left with the proton. So when you taste something sour, you're tasting protons. <laughs> and that's the thing I want to leave you with. <laughs> protons taste sour. <laughs> Thanks. Well, I imagine that a lot of people, much like me, are now hankering for some delicious protons. Yeah. <laughs> Although I think it's time to move on to our first special guest of the night. She is an astrophysicist and a science communicator. She's also a regular performer at our other science comedy gigs. And you say that, but I've actually looked up her full official title, which is the Senior Public Engagement and Outreach Fellow in the Institute of Cosmology and Gravitation at the University of Portsmouth. Oof. I feel like you could just say nerd, you know, and it would get the same idea across. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good point. You know what? So, yeah, let's just hand over to astronomer and professional nerd, Dr. Jen Gupta. Good evening, everybody. As Matt said, my name is Jen and I'm an astronomer. But if any of you have seen me at an evening of unnecessary detail before, you will also know that I identify as an emo kid. I dress like a walking cliché of a generic emo girl. I love emo music. And because I'm an astronomy nerd as well, when I hear references to stars and things like that in these emo songs, which happens a lot, I find myself wondering how realistic they are, which over the years has led me to an astrophysicist analysis of astronomical references <laughs> in emo song lyrics. Don't get too excited, because this is what I normally do. But over the last five years since I started doing these sets, um, something has changed in my life, and I have become a parent to some actual kids, not people in their mid-30s who still call themselves kids, real kids. And while I can occasionally dress these kids as emo kids <laughs> to match me in a check shirt and skinny jeans... Their music tastes aren't quite there yet, which means that my listening habits have gone from something like this, which can be summed up as emo, 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 original song from my favourite Buffy podcast, emo, emo. That was my top songs on Spotify in 2018. It's gone from that to something more like this in 2020, which can be summarised as lullaby versions of uh, my favourite pop punk songs, a kid's scar song, uh, Disney, and an act that can only be described as the Beastie Boys meets Sesame Street. <laughs> Which means that these days when I'm driving in my car and I'm hearing astronomical references in songs, it doesn't tend to be in emo songs. It tends to be stuff like this. The soundtrack to the Disney movie Encanto, which has been on repeat in my car for the last several months. And I'm not dissing Encanto. I bloody love this film, because who doesn't enjoy a kid's film about generational trauma? But <laughs> there's one song at the end of Encanto um, called All of You, 
And there's a line in it that just gets stuck in my head, and it's this one. But the stars don't shine, they burn, and the constellations shift. So the first time I heard this, when I was watching the movie, I was like, you what? (laughs) The stars don't shine, what are you on? And then I promptly forgot about it until we started listening to the soundtrack every single day in the car. But the problem is, is that normally I'm driving. So like I'd hear this, I'd be like, well, that's nonsense, um, but I'd be driving. And eventually I heard it so many times, I started doubting myself. I was like, maybe there's like some definition of shine that I'm unaware of. Maybe there's this like super technical scientific definition of shine that means that technically stars don't shine. And so one day, finally, I was the passenger in the car. My husband was driving, and it got to this song. So I Googled it. Shine of the sun or another source of light, give out a bright light. Now, last time I checked, the sun is a star. So they're wrong, and I'm right. So they're off to a bad start. But then it gets worse. They don't shine, they burn. Now... When I think of burning, I think of combustion, I think of fire, and I think of flames. And that's not what happens in stars. Stars are powered by nuclear fusion. You've got light atoms smashing together to form heavier atoms, and that gives off a little bit of energy. So I was like, they do shine, and they don't burn. And then my husband's like, well, actually, Jen, we do talk about nuclear burning quite a lot. Forgot to mention my husband's a nuclear fusion scientist. (laughs) So I replied, I was like, well you're kind of using that word wrong, aren't you? It's not really burning. It's not, and then I was like, you know what? It's not worth it. I'm just going to let them have that one. But the constellation shift, that's where my interest really, really came because that's actually right. So constellations are just these, these star patterns that we see in our night sky, but there's nothing physical about them. They're not physically linked in any way. Those stars that look like they're making these patterns from Earth. They're all at vastly different distances to us. Um, There's nothing that that links them physically. And we don't think about this, but everything in space is moving, and we're actually hurtling around the Milky Way at something like 500 or 600,000 miles per hour right now. And all the stars in our Milky Way galaxy are doing that. But they're not moving exactly in the same direction. So very slowly, over time... We're talking like hundreds of thousands of years. The positions of those stars in our night sky will change. And so in hundreds of thousands of years, those familiar constellations that we see in the night sky won't be there. So it finishes on a high because the constellations do shift. So if we were to summarize my listening experience in graphical form, because I can't let Matt down. Uh, We've got astronomical accuracy versus time in seconds through this song. It would go something like this. It would be like, oh, stars, those are a thing. Oh, no, they they do shine. Um, They don't burn. All right, I'll kind of give them that. Uh, Constellations, they're, like, not really scientific, but, oh, yes, they do shift. There we go, in graphical form. All right, we're going to close out with an emo song. This is Motorbike by John Allison Weiss. Seven million hours in my day... And then they go on to say, time goes so slow since you went away. And the first time I, I, I heard this song, it like set alarm bells ringing in my head. Because this is actually right. Because you see, the faster you go, the slower time seems for you. So the, the time that you experience depends on how fast you're moving. And I don't want to bore you with the maths. Who am I kidding? Of course I'm going to show you the maths. So... 
The time you experience t is related to the time that's actually elapsed t0 by this gamma factor, where gamma is the 1 over the square root of 1 minus v squared over c squared, where v is your velocity or speed, c is the speed of light. So we can rearrange this to work out our speed in terms of the, your time. So now we have to go on to another slide, because PowerPoint can't really do equations. Um, so we plug in our time. So t0, the time that's actually elapsed, is one day or 24 hours. The time you've experienced t is 7 million hours or 7 times 10 to the 6 hours. And you plug that in and you get, you've got to go at 0.999999999999412 times the speed of light, which is faster than any motorbike I know. Uh, at that speed... You'd be well past Pluto and into the outer depths of the solar system in one day. In the meantime, you will have listened to the Encanto soundtrack, 3,684,210 and a half times. Oh, God, please make it stop. Right, that's all I've got time for. Uh, so I've been Jen. Thank you so much. and have a Good night. Encanto is amazing, though. I mean, I'm only on my 500th listen, so that might change, but... Yeah, amateur, Steve. You're an amateur. <laughs> uh, my, my feelings about the music in that movie are well documented on this podcast already, so I'm, I'm just going to leave that there. And if anyone wants to see Jen's graph of astronomical accuracy over time, you're not going to believe where we'll put it. That's right. It's in the show notes. What? <laughs> Not the show notes. Jen's BBC Radio 4 series about the science of sci-fi is still on the BBC website. It's called Stranger Than Sci-Fi, and it's linked in the show notes as well. You get it. It's in Good the show notes. Everything's it. in the show notes. Okay? <laughs> okay. It is time for something completely different. Uh, we invited comedian Ted Hill to the second of these shows. Now, Ted, of the many things that Ted is, uh, he is... 100% the master of PowerPoint comedy, which is incredible to watch. Yes, and the problem with these kind of multimedia visual gags, they don't work so well in the monomedia podcast format. Yeah. Um, however, I think I found one section from his set that I've picked out, and yet I take full responsibility for whether this works on the podcast or not. Um, this section, I think, works if you can keep a visual reference of the alphabet in your head. That works for me anyway, and I hope it works for you. Can I do the intro for this one? I mean, yeah, traditionally I do it, but... Yeah, no, it's just because I, mean, I think Ted found one of my suspicious bags of white powder in the interval. <laughs> so here we go. Please welcome to the stage, fueled by monosodium glutamate, it's comedian Ted Hill. And sometimes, here's a bit of observational comedy, Michael McIntyre comedy. You know, sometimes when you, uh, you do a load of cocaine to try and make uh, graphs about US presidents and instead you accidentally make an alternative version of the NATO phonetic alphabet. We know this, we've done this, we've all done this. Well, that's what happened to me. I've made a version of the NATO phonetic alphabet, which I want to share with you. And the, the idea behind this is this makes it as difficult as possible for the other person to understand what you're talking about. This is what my coke-addled brain decided would be a good use of my time. So I'll show it to you now. A is I... Then we got BCC, SAR, dodecahedrophiliac, I, Fiji, GB, heebie-jeebies, I, GB-jeebies, keys, leave means leave, means, neve means neve, OBE, pfft, keys, arsonist, saw, SAR, you up, kiss. 
VG with a soft F. Why? And uh, snacks, where the X comes at the end. And ZBGBs. Note you up as a command. I forgot the alphabet then. And ZBGBs. So that's my NATO phonetic alphabet. Thank you. Please, everybody, start using it when you're on the phone. It'll be great fun. Wow, from the sounds of the audience, they'd uh, also had a bump of the old monosodium glutamate as well. <laughs> okay. Well, if that NATO alphabet tickled your fancy and you want to see more of Ted, you can find his website and more about his regular nerdy gig that he runs in London. It's called Niche Humor, so you know what you're getting there. Uh, that's all in the show notes. And here's a treat, actually, as well. I helped him film his whole set at the Bloomsbury on the night, and we've linked to the whole thing in the show notes, too. You can have a watch of the NATO alphabet and all the US president stuff and the graphic comedy stuff that we couldn't put in the podcast. And if anything's out of focus, you can blame me. Sorry, Ted. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Okay, so it's my turn to introduce someone, and I thought it might be fun to play in something from the headline act that we had ending both nights of our live shows. Yes, I booked the amazing Fox Dog Studios, Pete and Lloyd. Uh, they are, gosh, they are um, IT consultants and comedians and live coders and musicians, and they do it all at the same time uh, on stage. It's completely bananas. <laughs> and, and I feel like people just heard IT consultants and thought, oh, yeah, that's their day job. Yeah, it is their day job. It's also their night job. <laughs> it's always their job. They, they, they are walking IT consultants. They can't turn that on or off. And the show, oh, my goodness, the show is IT consultancy live, really. I mean, the best description I can come up with is it was a six Wi-Fi router show. Yeah, <laughs> it was. Yeah. 
I think that paints the appropriate picture. I mean, they spent five minutes sound checking the music part of it. And then the next three and a half hours, just making sure all the Wi-Fi routers were hooked up to the right parts of the building. If that gives you an idea of their <laughs> yeah, priorities. it's not easy. What I like is they're covered in buttons. Like their bodies are covered in buttons. Imagine two PowerPoint presentation clickers are doing a show, but they're human beings. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And they're in a band. <laughs> and they're in a band. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so, so the problem is, that anything we want to play from their sets on either night just makes absolutely no sense if you weren't physically there. I wasn't aware that making sense was a new criteria for this podcast. Yeah, <laughs> that is a fair point, but... Um, it feels like an unduly high bar, if I'm being honest. Okay. So, all right, so what we can do, I will choose a random 30 seconds of detail from one of Fox Dog's sets... And I will play it in. I'm not going to tell you what it is. I'm just going to put it into the edit of the podcast without anyone hearing it. And it's, we'll just it. we'll just see what people think. I feel like that will accurately emulate the, the true yeah, experience. I'm happy with that. So long as Matt answers any questions that come in from confused people on Twitter. <laughs> oh, I mean... I'll answer them. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if I'll provide any additional insight, but I'll give it a go. Okay. Well, to give you a flavour of Fox Dog Studios, a very tiny taste of what they actually do. We are Fox Dog Studios, the UK's number one IT consultancy. <laughs> I'll level with you. Um, we were under the impression that we'd been booked for the Epson printer convention that's taking place in a hotel across the street. <laughs> However, we're almost certain now that is not the case. But we do believe the material we prepared will work. Um, over the next four hours, we're going to be demonstrating <laughs> to some of the products we've been made. I'm one of the managing directors. My name's Peter Sun. This is my colleague over here, Lloyd Henning. <laughs> In order to help you demonstrate the products, we're going to need you to connect to one of our wireless networks. I'm going to bring the instructions up again. All right, who's having a good time? All right, let's just be sure, though. Okay. Using our latest technology, we're now going to analyze this to determine whether or not you really are having fun. 78% enjoyment. That's quite high. Okay, um, let's do a deeper analysis, if we can read more into this. You're happy because your shoes fit well, am I right? He said no, but he meant yes. Non-enjoyment. House full of rats. Only 13% bothered by that, though. Final analysis. You are enjoying yourself left Okay. All right, that's enough mingling. It's imperative that we get on with the training. It's going to highlight one of the key dangers of working in any IT consultancy, and that is the persistent threat of zeros falling down from the sky and hitting you on the head. So the aim of the exercise is to move left and right to avoid the zeros. You can get hit three times before you die. The training begins now. Here comes the second zero. Here we go! 
is the pathway into the office facility. We've got 95 employees remaining. We're about to head back out into the field of zeros. Here we go. So there you are. That clip you just heard. I hope that cleared everything up. I mean, at a minimum, it's made it clear that if you're ever anywhere near Manchester, where they're based, or you see them performing anywhere in the UK or internationally, definitely go and see Fox Dog Studios. And they do a bunch of fantastic online stuff as well. They do. Um, I watched some of their stuff during lockdown uh, when they were doing live streams uh, where they coded a website for someone who didn't want a website in, in about an hour in real time and people so could just good. join in um the websites are still there they are they are as brilliant and as incomprehensible as as my description sounds if you want some links to them uh, there's a bunch of stuff in our show notes or just search for fox dog studios if you can't find them you know you really probably wouldn't enjoy them anyway all right we're back and we've come full circle we started the first of these three live episodes with a guest spot from an actual real life doctor and now we're handing this last guest spot over to another actual real-life doctor. Or that's what he tells his parents to keep them off his back. It's Matt Hutchinson. Good evening. I'm Matt. And as he said, I am a medical doctor. And about 18 months ago, that would have got a bigger cheer and a round of applause. But whatever. Don't worry. It's fine. No, it's fine. It's too late. It's too late. No, no. Uh, no, and also you were right the first time not to cheer because doctors, we are terrible people. Uh, we make money from your illness and bad fortune. <laughs> so, you know, make from that what you will. Uh, but you guys are all complicit because if there's one thing the pandemic has taught us is that anyone can be a doctor. <laughs> we are all now Twitter doctors. Uh, but you might be feeling a bit anxious that you might have missed a few classes in medical school. Uh, but I'm here to reassure you all that you can all be doctors. It's really easy. Uh, The reason it is easy is that most diseases can be broken down into one of two things. Either you have too much of something or not enough of it. Uh, Now, um, I will uh, check at this point. Do we have any medical doctors in the room? Excellent. (laughs) Can say whatever I like. (laughs) This is great. Um, I'll give you a few examples of this phenomenon, though. Uh, For example, heart failure terrifying condition, sounds very bad, uh, but one of the main problems people with heart failure find is that their body hangs on to too much water. It's literally all it is. And uh, doctors, being creative people, uh, we have thought of a solution for this, uh, and that is make you piss. <laughs> literally, that's the imaginative as we can get. Just literally go to the toilet more and you'll be uh, completely fine. By the way, um, I've put a picture up there of one of the key medications that is used to treat people with heart failure when they've got too much water, and there's a drug called fruzamide. Um, and this is an insight into how dumb doctors really are. If you can see that on the package it says the word Lasix, yeah, that's the brand name they decided for it. And the reason they decided it was going to be called Lasix is because it lasts six hours, <laughs> and they wanted doctors to remember that. <laughs> Uh, This is the opposite end of the spectrum, hypovolemia. Uh, So that's when your body's not got quite enough water in it. That could be for any reason. You could have been vomiting because you've celebrated too hard after smashing a stand-up comedy set. (laughs) Or uh, someone stabbed you because you've done a bad stand-up comedy set. Uh, Either of those two scenarios will leave you with not enough water in your body. Uh, But there is literally, again, a solution, and this time pun intended. Uh, Literally, hypovolemia. One person, one pun for... (laughs) I paid them to come. Uh, uh, literally, one of the you know, if you come in with this problem, we will give you bags of salt water. We you know we call it saline to make ourselves sound clever, but that is literally all it is: bags of salt water. You could do this at home. Uh, 
Some of my friends may or may not have been known to do this to themselves after a night out. <laughs> I won't tell you who because they will be struck off. So my day job, I'm a rheumatologist. It's <laughs> my actual day job. I deal with uh, sort of immune system diseases, autoimmune diseases. And most of the diseases I look after could be broken down into basically this. Too much immune system. <laughs> you know, it's too enthusiastic. Your immune system's like, right, what can I kill? Uh, so that's the, that's the real problem, and you know, you know, the immune system can look daunting at first. Like this is basically the entire immune system broken down into a slide. Uh, so scary on the surface of it, until you realise that every condition that I treat as a rheumatologist can be treated with steroids. <laughs> it's like a thousand questions, all of which have one answer. <laughs> Uh, so this is radiology. Radiologists like to think of themselves as smart, clever, uh, but actually, you know, trying to tell the difference as to what is wrong on a chest X-ray is basically spot the difference. Uh, like I'm about to have my first child, uh, and I am convinced she will be able to be a radiologist by about four or five. <laughs> you know, we're going to train her up early, spot the difference. Where's Wally? Is how you get into it. <laughs> Um, and besides, also, um, there's a lot of sort of, you know, talk about the idea that computers, oh, I've skipped past it, computers are going to be doing our jobs soon. Uh, radiologists are going to be the first to go. Because uh, studies have shown that radiologists can be outcompeted by uh, a, an algorithm, essentially. It goes Facebook radiologists. <laughs> that is how computer development works. Uh, also, this is the thing. Also, it's best practice if you don't know the answer just to Google the condition that your patient has. Uh, like I'm sure whenever you've been into a doctor's surgery, you'll notice that doctors will have a computer in front of them on a swivel. Uh, they are not typing your notes. They are just checking, oh, Christ, what is that? <laughs> Um, this doesn't work quite so much anymore now that we have electronic notes, but often during a ward round, I would have my smartphone resting in the spine of a patient's notes, and I would just be frantically Googling at the bedside. Uh, so that is, you know, hopefully reassuring to all of you that <laughs> Dr. Google is not just for patients. Uh, now, it is said that when you go to medical school, you learn about 15,000 new words. That is a whole new lexicon, a whole new vocabulary. Uh, but then also, at the same time, we are told, dumb it down. No long words for the patients. We're patronizing them. So literally, you can just go, where does it hurt? Is it ouchy? How long have you had a dicky tummy for? It's easy. <laughs> Um, and also, this is my favourite thing as well. Like um, these days, obviously, we like to empower patients. Uh, there is a real move in the NHS to ensure patients take ownership of their own condition. By which I mean, leave me alone. <laughs> Look after it yourself. <laughs> See what you can come up with at home. Exactly. There's there's an app for everything these days. Applies to your health. So that is, you know, my life has become a lot easier. Um, and so um, that is basically the end of everything I've got to tell you about medicine. But um, as uh, was alluded to at the beginning, um, I've taken a sort of sideways step these days. Because like, obviously medicine, uh, I've demonstrated, is incredibly easy. I've decided to try my hand at virology. Uh, that is my current day job. Uh, so I work on COVID, which means, if for nothing else, I could come up with the next COVID conspiracy. Like, for example, guys, I could make up the fact that COVID was a conspiracy just to allow white people to fist bump each other. And no one can say anything different. <laughs> uh, please tell no one I said that because I will lose my job. I've been Matt Hutchinson. This has been lovely. Thank you very much. There you go then, medicine. It's as easy as it seems.
If you'd like some more of Matt Hutchinson, then check out his Twitter. That's where he's going to let everyone know the details about some shows he's planning in London this August, as well as whatever shows he's doing in the future. And the link to his Twitter, you're not going to believe this, it's in the show notes. That's right. And uh, I think there's only one thing left from the shows that we haven't shared on these podcast episodes yet, which I suppose makes it the, uh, the grand finale. Is this the one with the costumes? Yeah. <laughs> oh, hang on. Let, let's get real specific here, right? It's not just the one with the costumes. It's the one where you walk out on stage at the same time as me, but you're wearing a banana costume that you brought from home. You're just jealous because it looks better on me. That's not the burn you think it is. <laughs> <laughs> okay, good. Now you've got that visual in your head. Let's hear the song. Uh, last night I did uh, uh, Tom Lehrer's Elements, which is all the elements of the periodic table to a, a tune by um, Gilbert Sullivan. Um, tonight I'm going to talk about um, my current favourite element, uh, which is the element potassium. Uh, any potassium fans in the house? Okay. Um, so, uh, that's dreadful. That's awful. The only people applauding are the people who know what joke I did last night about sodium. Um, uh, so uh, potassium is my current favourite element. Um, uh, it's a great element. It's a fantastic element. It is uh, one of the most abundant elements on Earth. It's, it's crucial for your um, brain and your heart to even function. Uh, it explodes on contact with water. What's not, what's not to like? Um, and uh, most importantly, it's ever so slightly radioactive. Yeah, yeah. Um, but you shouldn't worry about that because you're getting radioactivity all the time from the, the ground under your feet, from cosmic rays from the sky. You're getting radioactivity in, in your, everywhere you are. There is some radioactivity, um, even in your fruit bowl. Um, because bananas, you might know, are a great source of potassium, uh, which means they're, they're a great source of small amounts of radiation as well. Uh, and what's good about bananas is they're generally similar size, similar shape, similar amount of potassium, which means there are a similar amount of radiation per banana. And this can be used as a um, measure of radiation uh, exposure dose. Um, so uh, it's not me that's invented this. Other scientists have uh, invented the BED, the banana equivalent dose. <laughs> I'll explain what it is. It is the number of bananas you would need to eat to get the same exposure as other things that might occur to you in your life, like um, a chest x-ray or a trip to Chernobyl or something. Um, how many bananas would you have to eat to have the same equivalent radiation exposure? That's what it is. Um, uh, and it's not yet an official like SI unit, like the kilogram or something, um, but I'm working on it because <laughs> I've written a song to try and get more attention for the idea of bananas um, being used as a, as a safety measure. Um, and, um, uh, and I hope it's going to catch on. Um, uh, to help me, I can't do it on my own. I need uh, Matt and Steve. They were originally going to be my backing dancers. It was a suboptimal use of their skills. So uh, now they are my backing statisticians. So please welcome back to the stage clipboard artists, Matt and Steve. I know what you've done there. <laughs> I already had it in the house. Yeah. yeah, I bet you feel like an idiot now, you little yeah. badge. Yeah, I feel real silly, Steve. Yeah. <laughs> okay. All right, this, this is a song. This is a song called um, What's the Equivalent of? All right, I hope it's useful to you. Here we go. Here we go. 
What's the equivalent of an x-ray at the dentist? About 50 bananas. So what's the equivalent of... A weekend in Cornwall. Yeah. 300 bananas. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Uh, it's all the granite rock. Um, the granite is actually a lot more radioactive than any other rock in the country. So in Cornwall, you, you get more daily radiation dose, yeah. So uh, a, a weekend in Cornwall is six times more dangerous than a trip to the dentist. Yeah. It's <laughs> not how... It's like 500% safer. Uh, uh, what if your dentist is in Cornwall? <laughs> it's measured in Banana Square, I think. <laughs> <laughs> so what's the equivalent of? Lying next to someone as you sleep. About half a banana. <laughs> Speak for yourself. <laughs> come on. No, come on. Oh. No, no. That's no. half a joke. Oh. <laughs> What's the equivalent of... Uh, all right, um, eating a banana. <laughs> That's one banana. What are the chances of that, then? <laughs> I don't understand. I don't understand. So what's the equivalent of... A handful of Brazil nuts. About a hundred bananas. I know, this time it's not the potassium, it's the radium. <laughs> What's the equivalent of... Flying from London to New York. 800 bananas. Yeah. That's, wait, that's 100 bananas an hour? Yeah, thereabouts, yeah. And I have to eat all the bananas before I land <laughs> in New York. <laughs> I mean, you can't take them to customs. No. Yeah. You've got to stick them somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> Speak for yourself. <laughs> <laughs> I've missed this. <laughs> oh, what's the equivalent of? One month of living in the United Kingdom. 3,000 bananas. Yeah, 3,000 a month. Yeah, that's right. And what's the equivalent of? One month of living in the International Space Station. 133,000 bananas. Yeah. <laughs> Trip to Cornwall's not looking so bad, is it? <laughs> so what's the equivalent of... The maximum annual limit allowed for employees in the US nuclear industries. 500,000 bananas. Yeah. That's half a mega banana. <laughs> <laughs> or... 1,400 bananas a day. Yeah. So I can safely eat 1,400 bananas every day. Oh it's amazing. It's amazing, isn't it? No! This is wow. where it breaks down. All right, do the dance. Yeah. Radioactivity <laughs> looks kind of harmless yeah. when you measure it out in bananas' uh, arms. In actual fact, it's more complicated. So don't use this song for your health and safety. Arms and legs. <sighs> Potassium in your body doesn't accumulate. So don't go putting radioactive stuff on your plate. <laughs> Unless it's a banana. <laughs> Thank you very much. 
So that's the last mega mix of material from our only live shows over the last two years. How cool is that? Uh, it was great to be back on stage and even better that we could share it with you in podcast form. However, from next week, we are back to the regular format. And oh, I say that we got one episode left in this series. So enjoy that. And then no more until we make some more. And actually, if you've got a moment to spare, please do write us a little uh, cheeky review on iTunes. Help us spread the nerd. Maybe chuck some stars in there. That stuff really helps how many episodes we can make and how long it will be before the next series. And if you want any more detail about anything from today, like links to the acts that you've heard, a free download of my banana song, you can find all of that on the surprisingly titled show notes. Yes, they're linked oh. in the podcast description and they're over at festivalofthespokennerd.com slash podcast. You know what I'm worried isn't isn't in the show notes? Because I'm not sure if we've mentioned that we're part of the ACAST Creator Network. We mention it every week. Oh, we do? Yeah, and it is in the show notes as yes. well. Yeah. Oh, oh yeah. thank goodness. Pretty embarrassing you don't know that. If you want to get in touch, we're on all the social medias and on podcast at festivalofthespokennerd.com. Until next time, bye. 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 A podcast of unnecessary detail is made by Festival of the Spoken Nerd. That's Helen Arney, Steve Mould and Matt Parker. Our series producer is Lindsay Fenner, who also produced this episode. Our theme music is by Howard Carter, and we are proud to be part of the Acast Creator Network. Thanks for listening. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.